It's September and I'm out in the garden beside an apple tree. I want to capture the sound of an apple falling. Nothing. I realise I could be here all day. Rod and Julie Collipotts wouldn't have this problem. They have apples coming out of their ears at High Bank Orchards in Coffs Grange, County Kilkenny. That, that flapper there pushes the apples across to here and this is a pickup head, picks them up. They go up on the screw arm here and they go into this um, big basket. They grow these apples organically. But when Rod inherited the farm from his parents, it wasn't organic. My parents had farmed and I'd helped them for years very much with, with chemicals, okay? With no regard or no real deep understanding of the symbiosis that goes on in nature. Um, and so the way we farmed, this farm had 50 acres of apples on it. Uh, there was nothing else on the farm except for apple trees. Right, we killed everything else. We killed all the grasses, we killed all the weeds, we killed all the insects. So consequently there are no birds around, there's nothing for them to eat, there's no reason for them to be here. We killed all the worms. So all our, our apples, very successful, very high yielding, uh, we supplied them with all their, uh, their requirements, their nutritional requirements, and we protected them against the organisms that sort of blew in, like the fungi and the bacteria and so on. So they were like, if you like, they were like humans, human beings in, in intensive care. The bringing of his apple trees out of intensive care was a tricky thing to do. When we stopped spraying uh, the trees we had, they pretty well died. You know, they, got, they looked so awful. I'm sure if we'd waited for a while, they might have recovered. But uh, they were... Um, they were dreadful. We just piled them up in a great big heap and set fire to them. And then when we planted these ones, uh, they weren't they weren't terribly happy. It took years and years. I'd say they were they were ten or fifteen years old before I started showing them to people because mm. I was so ashamed of them, you know. To my eyes, the orchards and the apples look beautiful now. But the energy now is amazing. I don't understand why. It's just, it's because we've left it alone. But the interesting thing is it actually took a long, long time for the, for the thing to, to restore. And has it taken long for it to become a profitable business for you? Like if, if somebody was setting out to grow apples and to, to, to do that sort of a work, how long does it take and how long does it take to be established, to be profitable? Well, there's a lot of money in this, you know. A friend of money mine, spent or money gained? <laughs> exactly. This is what a, f- a friend of mine has a horses and he says, they say there's no money in horses, he says, but... There is, I know, because I put it there. <laughs> so no, they, you know, you you could look at you could grow these trees and give the apples to boomers, right? They pay you around about 150 euros a ton, right? So say I produce on a middling year 100 tons of apples, that's 15,000 euros for this. You know, that wouldn't even pay the guy to prune the apple trees in the winter, you know what I mean? So if you're going to sell as a commodity, particularly organically produced apples, you're going to go bust. Uh, if a guy with this chemical, this is the, the sad thing now, with this chemical farming, killing all the bees, producing apples that are really chemically dirty, 
he's going to produce maybe 500 tons to my 100 tons. Uh, so five, that's, uh, that's a, sort of, I don't know, something approaching 100,000. Mm. So we need to produce. So you've, you've got to come up with something. Something else. Something else. So what we do is uh, we, you know, we produce juice, we produce cider. We've got to produce about 15 different products between ciders and vinegars. And we've even got a distillery and make a, an apple brandy and so on. What have we got here, Julie? Driver's cider, non-alcoholic, no added sugar, cider for the driver. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the old, the Katie Catcher driver's cider. We have another one now, Blusher. Blusher is another apple we do with blushes. Okay. And we're about to harvest them in three weeks. This Brilliant. is Katie. I'll try Cheers. It. Cheers. Cheers. But we have so many tons of apples, and right in the beginning we were making apple juice. Yes, we were, but most of the rest were going into the likes of the industrial um, ciders, which wouldn't sustain you really unless you're very big. And so I messed around with the apples to make an actually a baby food, and uh, it didn't. It happened. I went and answered the phone and uh, chatted away as we're doing now. And I came back and there was this gorgeous syrup in the pot. And I said, oh, maybe other people would like that. Uh, and so High Bank Orchard Syrup, which has 11 awards now, is, was born. <laughs> a total mistake. Total yeah. mistake. Wow. As our treacle, which you saw today that we're making, uh, you know, when we had syrup, which was too thick, we actually evaporated it more to make our wonderful treacle, which goes into breads and that type of thing. Yeah, okay. Sorry, this is Vinny, our head distiller. And this is Treacle. How are you doing? How are things? It's the right colour anyway, isn't it? Yeah. The High Bank Apple Treacle is being made at the time of my visit. Do you mind putting your finger in there? Do you mind me putting my finger in (laughs) It smells and tastes really nice. (laughs) Not like the Aston Bitter variety of apples that they use to make cider. I reckon a cider apple. The further you spit it, the better cider it'll make. Try because they're horrible. Is this going to take the mouth off me? Yeah. You'll understand when you eat it. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Oh, wow. I've never tasted an apple like that. Yeah. And it's, it makes a really lovely cider because the, the bitterness... You know when you drink beer, that bitterness you get from hops? <laughs> I told you it's going to spit it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't be fond of eating that one now. Yeah. Bitterness helps in the process of cider cider um, making. Oh yeah, bitterness. Yeah. You know, that's what elevates it from a lemonade, really. With nothing being applied to the land, Rod is saving money and the environment. Well, I just want to show you how we're combining um, really quite an intensive uh, sort of commercial enterprise with uh, a very low footprint. The low-carbon footprint ethos revolves around the protection of the soil microbes in which the trees grow. This ethos means absolutely no chemical sprays. Even in organic farming, you're allowed to use chemicals. Right? You're allowed to use, for example, an insecticide called pyrethrum. You're allowed to use it because it's a natural insecticide. It's an extract of a plant. But the trouble is, it doesn't matter whether the chemical is synthetic or natural it still does the job of killing insects and disrupting that symbiosis that happens. Even in the insect world, which you'd think 
you know, we want nothing to do with any insects. Well, of course you do, because insects actually have an important part to play with, with other microbes. And we will never, ever, ever understand. That's why I say I know literally nothing about microbes and insects. We won't understand. They reckon that in one teaspoonful of soil, there are about t at least 10 billion, 10 billion microbes. One teaspoon of soil. That's more microbes than there are people on Earth, okay? Now that might be 10 billion microbes. That's a big enough number. But those microbes have relationships with each other. And some of them are actually essential to the functioning uh, of the other microbes. All we do know about it is it functions absolutely beautifully. It's not in the least bit broken, and it doesn't require us to interfere with it. Mm -hmm. you know, so we farm our farm largely as observers. One tool we do not allow ourselves is chemicals mm -hmm. of any kind, not even dung. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, interesting thing to look at is this. All the chemical farmers have got a problem with a thing called canker, mm. apple canker. It's a, a bacteria that attacks the bark and you get, it can kill the whole tree. It does that, what does that look like? It looks like a horrible scar. You'll find a little bit of everything here, but I find it hard to, I'll, I'll find some now and I'll show it to you in a minute. But I, a friend of mine's had to pull a whole orchard out because of canker. We hardly have any here. Mm. And, uh, why? And my theory is that there is a bacteria or a fungus or a virus or something that lives on canker. Mm. And this virus or whatever it is, this I call him the canker doctor, he's in my imagination, uh, that he's very, very susceptible to chemicals. Mm. And so you go through with a whiff of chemical, you'll kill. first thing you kill is the doctor. Mm. So we... In, in, in our days, in the olden days, when we had the orchards here back in the 60s, we had to have a girl go through all summer, and all she did was go up and down the rows, digging out canker with a knife and painting it with a chemical to, to, to try and heal the tree. Rod's belief in the power of his soil microbes and their role in keeping his trees and apples healthy is so strong that he would recommend them to another farmer. Say somebody... Somebody wanted to do what I'd done and wanted to convert their orchard to organic. If they, and they've been spraying it heavily, if they stop spraying, they're in trouble because you're, you're looking for a completely different army to support, to protect your trees. The chemical stops, you've got to get in something else. So you've got to look for, I suppose in human terms, we'd call it a probiotic. Yeah. So the best thing would be to maybe come to a field like mine here and dig up some soil, put it in water, brew it up and then spray it over your orchard and inoculate your orchard with as many of these microbes. Uh, now it's not going to be day one a perfect solution but it's going to put those microbes in the right place and then they'll have to go through their balancing act. Uh, sorry I can't find any canker for you. Don't worry, don't worry. I was only well, actually I'm delighted not to be able to find any canker. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, yeah, no, we'll go, we'll go this way. All the other chemical farmers now would have sprayed this orchard at this stage probably about 15 or 20 times. Mm. You know, just imagine the fuel in the tractor, the, these horrible chemicals going on the ground. Now you look at this, look at the ground here. Look at all that biodiversity. That's so before someone accuses me of having a monoculture here. Yeah. 
Look at that tremendous biodiversity in the garden. You've got bringing. loads of dandelion here. And, yeah. Um, and the dandelion is hugely important at the beginning of the year to feed the bees uh, before the, the blossom comes out in the apples. We get a lovely, this is just totally yellow with dandelions. Wad would have a great fondness for the bee, for, for the bumblebee side of the insect world, uh, and it would be the bumblebees which would be actually harder working than the honeybees, and they actually work at lower temperatures, which means you'll get them working in April, May when the apples are in blossom. And the honeybees wouldn't be be a bit cold for them. Some people would buy in the bumblebees but it's expensive, you know, and why not uh, encourage by organic means having your own natural pollinators. This is Mark Wrightson who prunes the apple trees during the winter time. Pruning is a very important part of growing apple trees. Uh, you're kind of trying to rejuvenate the tree and keep the tree young. Uh, I usually like to remove a branch anything over 8 to 10 years old so that after 8 or 10 years the only part of the apple tree that's left is the main stem mm. from when it was planted. Mm. Uh, that means that you get uh, new branches because when you do prune a branch off dormant buds will sprout that were suppressed by the branch mm. and they will produce new branches. So you're not losing anything in the long term by pruning you're creating new branches which means you get new leaves bigger leaves better leaves more efficient leaves the fruit will be bigger and it'll uh, the buds also will be bigger and younger buds because in the end an old branch will have smaller leaves the buds get old the fruiting buds also age uh, and uh, you need to actually replenish and replace the plant a lot of plants also only have a certain lifetime uh, some bushes and shrubs in gardens will only live for 12 years but if you keep pruning them uh, then they'll live longer how long would apple trees live for well they're being a, a sort of real mature sort of proper tree uh, they would could live hundreds of years really? uh, there would be trees in back gardens from the 18th century 17th century I mean they can look a bit gnarled and often they're neglected uh, they do need looking after you're actually looking for an archetypal shape an archetypal shape of a cider apple tree not quite the same as a fruit tree it's um, kind of a cross between a fan shape and, a, and an espalier that you're trying to create depending on how the tree is shaping up itself you don't want to twist the tree into something it's not but there is within that uh, a tree that has branches that are really in line with the line of trees themselves you don't want too much poking out into the alleyways because uh, Rod has to drive his machinery up and down and he needs space for that uh, you also need to let, let light in. If you yeah. don't have light into your orchard, then you'll have small green apples. Yeah. Uh, whereas really what you want in an organic orchard would be apples that are fully ripe, that are fully mature, that would have the highest possible taste. Uh, because at the end of the day, with organics, it's got to be quality. And the High Bank Orchard's quality apple trees are blessed to be earthed in good deep soil. This is really lovely, Kilkenny soil, you know, you won't, you won't get better ground anywhere. It's a flat field, it's dry. The ground holds moisture, um, so there's never going to under stress moisture-wise. Um, we've dug holes here, 18 feet deep, and we haven't got through the soil, you know. Ah, oh, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. Oh, yeah. And they are blessed in other ways too. You know, we had the Shumai um, 
Buddhists came here. Some some Shumai people came here. Who were they then? Well, it's a branch of Buddhism. I know very little about Buddhism, but I, it, it intrigues me because they, they actually don't believe in a deity per se. Um, the whole world is a god, you know. It, they teach respect. They, um, they teach their children for the first four years of their education. It's all about respect, respecting themselves, respecting other people. Uh, respect is a kind of love, I suppose, you know. But they came here uh, and asked me if they could look at the orchard, which I showed them. And then they came back about a month later. They're Japanese guys. And their main temple is in Kyoto. Mm. And uh, they have a thing called uh, Shumai Natural Farming. And then they asked me if they could uh, adopt the orchard. And I was very touched. I, I said, I'm you know, delighted. How do, they, how do they mean adopted? Well, exactly. I didn't know. I said, what, what do you mean adopted? Well, they said, well, would we think... What you're doing is very good and uh, we'd like to be a part of it and we'd like to encourage you and we will help you by praying to your trees. So they come here about four or five, they haven't during COVID now, about four or five times a year and they pray to the trees. What format does that take? Well, one of the things they do is they, they prune the trees. I've given them just two or three trees randomly, the orchard, and they go to the tree and they, they tell me, that first of all, they ask the tree's permission. Um, I'm not really into prayer. I don't think I really understand it, you know, but I can understand how that would affect, well, your attitude towards the tree. You know, it's showing respect, isn't yeah. it, to the tree. Then they'd prune it a little bit and they, they say they, they, they ask the tree to make an effort and, and so on. I love it, but they, they were the guys who stopped me from putting dung on the orchard. They said, you know, I was putting dung. I was actually putting... Um, cheese sludge it's considered an organic fertilizer and we were putting about 70 or 80 tons of that a year onto the onto the orchard and they they asked me not to they said this is the only thing we don't like about what you're doing and i said come on lads you know this is uh, this is counterintuitive you know i've always been told that you know you take something off the field you've got to put something back and they said no that's that's not nature nature doesn't say that at all because uh, you know it, it works by itself so whatever so I said well I don't agree with you but um, you know I'm so touched that you guys want to do this and I see you you think this very strongly so I'll give you just just six rows I'll show you them actually now six rows of apple trees and uh, we'll we'll not put any down on them but I said I think they're gonna go downhill and if I see and notice anything about them going bad, I'm going to go back to putting down on them. Anyway, within three years, I uh, I rang the guys up, one of them. I said, Hiro, Hirohito, I said, will you stop praying for the trees? I said, the bloody branches are breaking with all the apples on them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was true. We don't put any dung on now. And they're much, much better. And are they still praying for the trees? Yeah. You know, it's a huge privilege to be able to stand in the shade of a tree you planted yourself. Is it? Oh, yeah. You've got, to, you've got to learn or try to be a good ancestor. I mean, look at the magnificent trees that, uh, you know, the, that tall oak tree there was planted in about 1750. Really? Yeah, that guy who planted that tree wasn't thinking about himself. 
interestingly enough now, on my, in, on my grandfather's shift, on my great-grandfather's shift, my great-great-grandfather's shift, there was never a problem with losing a tree. While I've been here, we've lost, we've lost all our elm trees. We had a magnificent elm tree here, just died with Dutch elm disease. The chestnuts are dying, the ashes are dying, all on my watch. Now, I don't think it's my fault, but it is the fault of modern agriculture. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't, you know, I can't stop it. And uh, this is happening now. The worrying thing too, you know, uh, is you look at yourself and you say, well, what can I do about um, climate change? I don't think there's enough people saying that to themselves. They're all waiting for the government to do something. I think it's up to every individual to look at themselves and say, you know, do I need to light that fire? Do I need to buy that car? Do I need to go on that journey? All these trees have kind of meaning for me. You know, that's a lovely mulberry that was given to me years ago. It's a wonderful gift for someone to give you a tree, you know? Isn't yeah, it? it a great is, yeah. tie yeah. if you've got somewhere to put it? Well, we'll just have to keep finding places to plant them. And so we've come to the end of our programme, but before we go, here's Michael Summers, Forestry Advisor with Chagask. Here's an interesting fact about trees. Some trees can communicate and defend themselves against attacking insects. According to scientists, when the insects begin their raid, trees can flood their leaves with chemicals called phenonics. They can also signal danger to other trees so they can start their own defence. Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.